welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cleveland and uh, welcome to this session. Uh, This is one of the lead meetings that we have. Uh, My name is Larry. I'm a sexaholic. Cleveland. And um, what we designed was to have uh, the Parma Room that we're in here always have somebody giving their lead, which is telling their story, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And um, Dave from Rochester is going to do that for us. Um, I, I met Dave for the first time, I believe, in January of 94 at the Rochester Conference. And then maybe a time or two after that at other conferences, came to Cleveland for a marathon or two, things like that. And... Uh, I think he's got a good story. I think he works a very good program. And probably the thing I'm most impressed about, and there's many people who do this in the fellowship, and I'm always awed when they do it, um, talks about God as if, you know, God's right here with us now and this is real. And uh, I know that's true, but I always forget that. <laughs> Just happened in a minute ago in the back, we're talking about something or other, and he says, well, isn't that funny how God does this? And that? My sponsor does that. And I can remember early on in this program, and he would do that. I think at a restaurant. What are you doing? Are you a priest? Are you a minister? What is this guy? I mean, oh, that's what this program's about. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Just with a real ease, it comes right out and I say, yeah, you really believe this. You really live this way, don't you? And I get that feeling from Dave. And so I personally think he's got a lot to say. And uh, further ado, we're going to let Dave say it. Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dave, and I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> um, could we open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please? Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Dear God. Please help me today to be honest and uh, to give from all that you've given to me that I might be available, your instrument, maybe to help another drunk today. Amen. They said my name is Dave and I'm a sexaholic. And uh, I can't tell you what a privilege it is to be here because um, I was sharing with Larry um, I, I really, although I'm from Rochester, born, bred there, I'll probably die there. Um, my uh, my sober roots are really are really here in Cleveland. Um, back in um, I, my sobriety date is August 2nd of uh, 1985, and in December of 1985, we got a letter from Cleveland here saying that they have this marathon meeting. What's a marathon? I had no idea what that was. Um, Things were sort of new in Rochester, and uh, so there were really two of us in the program at that time. And uh, and he said, "Hey, why why don't we go?" You know, so we jumped in the car and, and we came down to this marathon. And um, that's where I was introduced to the lead meeting because I we don't do those kinds of things in Rochester. And uh, and I, I heard four lead meetings that day: two in the morning and two in the afternoon. Completely blew my socks off. Uh, I never heard anything like that. I never heard that kind of honesty before. And I know in Cleveland that they they, they do things like this. I mean, that's the way AA sort of is, and uh, and and that was spilling over into into the essay program at, at that time. The two of us uh, came away, and and a four and a half hour trip back to Rochester seemed like about thirty minutes. We just couldn't stop talking. I mean, it, it kind of catapulted me in the program, and I. Uh, I kind of manipulated this this one lead person to uh, to share a room with me at the first convention I went to in December of that year, 
and um, uh, and I asked him to be my sponsor, and uh, and he did, and taught me incredible, incredible things. Um, I don't know where he is today. He's kind of gone, um, but all the things that he taught me live in me today. Uh, I need them. I need them to stay sober. And uh, back in Rochester, oddly enough, a group of very young people who got sober in Cleveland. Uh, at the, at the Newburgh AA meeting, as AA people, not SA people, uh, they came to Rochester with the blessings of the Cleveland Newburgh meeting and started a Newburgh group back in Rochester. And when I saw the flyer that said lead meetings, I said, oh, I know what those are. So I made a beeline for them. I'm not an alcoholic, but I, I wanted to hear what, what these people had to say. There's a room full of people, average age about 20, 21 years old, who were sponsored back here in Cleveland. From, from this Newberg group, and, and the leads from Newberg used to come up to Rochester, and they used to share there. So we got a big dose of, of good AA, big book uh, sobriety that was just laced through and through with God and 12 steps and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Of course, I have to thank God for that because I couldn't have put these people in my life. You know, he, he did all of that. So um, I have a... Uh, a deep fondness in my heart for Cleveland because I, I see that this is really where I, where I got my start, even though um, I, I, I lived and acted out and, and did all my stuff uh, back in, in Rochester. Thank God I never acted out in Cleveland. That's one place I, <laughs> I, I didn't do that. I acted out everywhere else I was, but I didn't do that here, and uh, that, 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 that's kind of good, I guess. Um, I just uh, I came out of a, a panel here on honesty and uh and I guess uh, I wanted to, I just wanted to share with you a little story about honesty. And, and I know some of you in this room have heard this. And if you have, you know, just bear with me. And if you haven't, uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. Because um, I need to be honest today. And, and that's not something that I, that I do very well. Um, but anyway, there was this, uh, this alcoholic, uh, judge who, uh, uh, after work, after a very stressful day, he, uh, he went ahead and got himself drunk and, uh, and he, he went home and he, and he wanted to hide it from his wife, so he kind of snuck in the house, snuck upstairs, undressed, went to bed. And then the uh, next morning, his dutiful wife, uh, you know, uh, always helping him get ready for work, uh, was very kind of a little suspicious about all this, but anyway, uh, went to get his clothes ready, picked up his suit jacket and found his puke all over it. So she said, gee, what, what happened? Oh, he had a terrible time in court yesterday. We had this drunk in there. He was he was drunk and he just got sick all over everybody. He said, you know, some of it probably got on my on my coat. He said, but it's okay. We we got him to AA. We got everything taken care of. He's all set. Uh, you know. She said, well, I sure hope you threw the book at him because he shit your pants too. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta think about that one. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, um, you know, I, I, I need to be honest here, here myself. And um, yeah, he asked me to. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that or not, but I'll leave it there for you to look at. My. Uh, Sexaholism, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of a garden variety sexaholic. Uh, I, I sit here and I listen to people who've got, you know, a lot of years in a program and this really compelling story, you know, and I say, wow, wow, what a story, you know. Um, God really worked overtime, you know, to help that person and so on. And then I reflect on my own story, you know, and compare it, you know, and say, well, you know, it's, it's really not like that, you know, I didn't do all those things. Uh, I know I'm a sexaholic, you know. And then one day it hit me, you know, the best story is really no story, you know. Uh, the, the, the smaller the story, the better off my life would have been. But it, 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 didn't, it didn't happen that way. And, um, and my uh, sexaholism goes, goes back to the time when I was a kid. And, um, you know, I was always curious about, about sexual things. And, uh, and, and my, my parents had an attitude that, that put a, a secrecy around it, you know, that... that um, uh, they, they they were messed up too in that area. I'm sure. I don't know that they were sexaholics. My, my dad might have been. I I really don't know that. But but um, I don't know how how non-addicted people would have reacted to any of that stuff. But 
all that stuff was intriguing to me. All that secrecy and all that kind of stuff, you know, that was, I had to, I had to find out more. What's all, what's going on here? And, uh, at the age of 10 years old, I, uh, I taught myself how to masturbate. I, I didn't, nobody ever showed me, nobody ever told me about it, never even, didn't even know what the word was. I just did it, you know. And, uh, and of course, being the, the, uh, ego, egotistical maniac that I was, uh, even back then at 10 years old, I thought that I invented something that nobody knew anything about but me, you know, and I was not with, because, because there was secrecy around all this, this, uh, you know, uh, genitalia and things like that, I would never tell anybody what I did, you know, I acted out in secret and, and that was really the beginning of my double life. It started right there. It started right there, 10 years old. Now, I got four kids, you know, when I was looking at, at them when they were 10, they're little kids, really. They're little kids. And, and I was, in a sense, burdened with this. I, I don't know. I didn't think it was burdened back then because, you know, once I was introduced, introduced myself to this thing, and I couldn't get enough. I absolutely could not get enough. And, uh, and, and I acted out with, uh, with instruments at that time, uh, with objects. I didn't know that was the way I learned, and that was what I, the way I thought you had to do it. You know, I, I, and, and of course, as I went on, I learned more about about this thing. And, and you know, that uh, compulsion to to masturbate stayed with me right to the to the time I came into Sexaholics Anonymous. I never grew out of that kind of thing. It, it was my drug. It was it was what I carried this around with me wherever I went. This has got to be like an alcoholic trying to get sober with a half pint in the back pocket, you know. It's always there, you know. Anytime life got, I, I, I don't know what I used it for back then. I, I, I'm sure that there were, had emotional problems. I, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. But my parents never taught me, they never spoke about sex or whatever, they never taught me masturbation. There was never any pornography in the house. I know because I searched. I, as a little kid, I looked for it. <laughs> There wasn't any. Of course, back then it was harder to, to come upon this kind of stuff. But it was there. It was there. And, and, and I found somebody who would buy me some books that had, you know, kind of lewd pictures. And it wasn't hardcore like you'd see today. But, you know, with this sexaholic mind, I didn't need very much, you know, to blow that up into, you know, into what I needed to perpetuate this masturbation and, and all that stuff. And... uh, uh I I tried very very hard. Every everybody that came in, all of my friends in the neighborhood and so on, none of these people were safe from me. You know. My um, my litany goes uh, as follows: uh, uh, compulsive masturbation, uh, use of all kinds of pornography, uh, voyeurism, anonymous homosexual sex in adult bookstores, baths, and other public places, cruising, dependency relationships, exhibitionism, paying for sex. Uh, sex with animals and objects, using people, covetousness, and a lot of explicit sexual images and fantasies. Those are the things that, that haunted me around. And uh, my this, this voyeurism thing, my my, my the compulsion to see people in sexually compromising situations, you know, uh, was there. None of the kids in the neighborhood were safe from me. My befriending them was not for friendship. I wanted to get them involved sexually somehow. Is, is pre-teen, post-teen, didn't matter. That was my, that was my goal. And a lot of these kids were, were innocent of that sort of thing, but I wasn't. And, and so I took advantage of that kind of thing. And, and, and these kids were basically my age, you know. There were a couple of older kids in the neighborhood that, uh, introduced me to some sexual things, and I can call that, uh, molestation if I, if I want to, but you know, I was excited by all of that, and I wanted it all of that. Even as a young young kid, I wanted that part of my life. And the secrecy around all this stuff just made it that much more exciting. It just made it that much more exciting. I belonged to a church that frowned upon doing those kinds of things, so they just added to the excitement. You know, I took advantage of all of it, all of it. But I couldn't share any of that with anybody, and I knew, morally speaking, that it was wrong. I, my parents uh, uh, had the means to send me to parochial school, right straight through four years of college. So I studied about God, uh, took exams on God, passed them. 
No. Uh, most of the people, uh, you know, didn't care for these theology classes that they were in. Uh, but I, I liked them, you know, and, and I look back today and say, you know, that was probably the only place of sanity in my life. I heard about the right way to live. I wasn't doing that, but I heard about it, you know. And, and that was like, I don't know if you know what the brass ring on the merry-go-round is. If anybody's ridden an old-time merry-go-round, you know, as you're running around and grabbing these, these rings and throwing them at the, at the gongs or whatever, one of those rings ends up being brass. And and uh, and the one who's lucky enough to get that gets to ride the merry-go-round free the second time. So all these things was like that, that brass ring. I just got a chance to, to cycle through again and again. Uh, and, and that kind of was my beacon. But, you know, I see that today as God working. You know, he kept that kind of stuff alive in me uh, somehow. But I, um, I, I, I wanted to have both. I wanted to have the morality and God, and I wanted to have all the acting out that I could stuff into a day. Basically, that's, that's what I was. I, uh, I sought the help of, of some of the clergy. Uh, when I, I, I met, I met a, a, a beautiful woman. And thank God I'm, I'm still married to her today. How she put up with all of this, I'll, I'll never know. Sometimes I heard somebody say the smile of denial, you know. I think she wore that for a while, and, 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 and that may be the thing that saved our marriage. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But um, I knew I had this problem with masturbation, and, and I wanted to, to marry her, and I talked to, to uh, a priest about it. And, and, of course, you know, God bless them. They did not understand this. They just didn't understand and his comment to me was, that's fine. You go get married, everything will be just fine. It'll take care of your, all your problems and you'll be, you'll be just okay. And, uh, I, I took, I took him at his word and I, and I went and I, and I followed that advice. And, um, and we got married. And, and, and he was wrong. It didn't, it didn't do it. It just didn't do it. Um, I, I, I could have had all the sex that I wanted. Um, I still preferred masturbation. And in addition, in addition, so it isn't like you know. Initially, there was both of these things going on, and the masturbation was hidden. It was definitely hidden. Um, we uh, and, and you know, during those years, knowing all this stuff was wrong, I somehow deep inside me, I knew that it, it had to stop, and I knew not how. But I, I would say to myself, well, you know. When I get older, maybe when I'm when I'm out of high school, then you know, be in college, then maybe, maybe this will stop. Then, well, that didn't happen. And well, okay, maybe when when I'm out of college, uh, be a grown man now, out in the world, that didn't happen. Well, the next phase is when I get married, that didn't happen. Maybe when our first child is born, that didn't happen. We had four kids, that didn't happen. Uh, and, uh, and the thing, it was getting worse. It was really getting worse. And um, I went to uh, seek counseling um, back then. I wanted to stop this acting out, this, this masturbation stuff. And around that time, the bookstores were beginning to open up around Rochester, uh, where the explicit hardcore pornography was there. I had no idea what was in one of those stores. Also, the movie theaters were, were in there starting to show all these X-rated movies. Uh, I'm curious. i got to know what that is, you know. And um, I went to the movie theater, paid my money, went in there, and had my head blown off by what I, what I saw on the screen. And I never saw anything like that before. And, of course, I had to have more. Immediately, I had to have more. And, and the masturbation just, just went crazy because now I had all kinds of new things in my mind to, to work with. And, uh, and then I went to the, uh, I had to find out what was at the bookstores, magazines all over the place. Another explosion was going on in my head. Buying these things, hiding them under the front seat of the car, hiding them in the furnace pipes, hiding them all over the house. Then they started selling movies. They didn't have videos back then. I don't know what a video cost today, but back then a movie cost about $60 for one reel of film. I didn't have 60 bucks. I mean, I had it, but it, but that was money for the family. That was money that I brought home, you know. I went there and I bought these reels of film. And they were very nice. 
They were very nice because they said, you, you bring it back here and we'll give you a rebate toward the next reel of film. So I spent $60 for the film and they gave me two bucks toward the next reel of film. That's a good deal. <laughs> it's a good deal, you know. <laughs> and so I did that, you know, and, and uh, my, my, the compulsion was to run through that whole library. I just had to see all of those, you know. Then, you know, the craziness, you know, began, well, the squeeze was on because now I was spending money on this stuff. And, uh, and, and, and we were coming up short for groceries and various other kinds of things. And so, uh, whose fault was that? You know, that was my wife's fault. It was all her fault. She was going to the wrong supermarkets. She wasn't going for the bargains. She was overspending money on all this stuff. And, and therefore we were running short. And, and I called her on it and said, you, you've got to, you've got to change your way of doing this stuff, you know. Meanwhile, I had these movies all over the damn house. Um, we moved from that house and, 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 uh, I, it was one of these movies I could not account for. So I don't know where I put it in there. I have no idea where I hit it. it for all I know, it could still be, be in that house. Uh, I, God helped the person that they, who owned the house that they found it, but, uh, I hope they weren't sexaholic to be able to get rid of them. Um, so uh, this craziness went on with, with my wife and uh, the isolation. I needed to have that isolation in order to support my addiction. Um, I, I, I started up a little side business. Uh, uh, I became a piano technician, and I went around fixing other people's uh, musical instruments, which didn't take very long to do on a given evening. But I came home, and, of course, I lied you know, as much as I could, this was a terrible thing, and they all were bad, and I had to spend all this time working on it. You know, I work on the piano for an hour, and then go spend three hours in a bookstore, in a in a, uh, in a bathhouse, and act my brains out. Come home, smelling like the perfume that they had all over the place in there. I had this the stench of sex all over me, of, of illegitimate sex, and I'm, I'm I'm going home trying to hide all of that by having the windows in a car open at sub-zero weathers in the winter, you know, with a breeze blowing on me so that I could kind of air myself out before I got into the house, you know, and uh, smoke, you know, all this stuff. She, she never asked me any questions about that. She never asked me a question. She let it be, and, and I could, if I could smell it, I know that I know that she could. I know that she could. Uh, very often times at, at, at 11 o'clock at night, I'd stop at the at the, uh, at the greasy spoon hot dog stand, you know, and I and I buy hot dogs and smear it all with onions and hot sauce and all this kind of stuff, and I chow it all down so I could smell like onions and mustard and hot sauce, and maybe that would hide all this, this stuff too. I even brought her one, so she could have it too. <laughs> so here we are eating eating these 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 uh, ultra producing hot dogs and then going to bed right after that. You know, it was, uh, this this went on for for years and years and years. I was a crazy man at home. Uh, my kids, uh, my poor kids, you know, they, they, they're good kids. I have good kids, you know, they, they, they weren't really troublesome kids. But I would create horrible situations at home, arguments with my wife, uh, I'd find fault with the kids, the toys, this, that, this, this wasn't right, that wasn't right, yelling, screaming, hollering, and then I, and, and then I'd have, I'd have to run out of the house, you know, to get away from all of that. Yeah. And where did I run? You know, I ran right, right to my addiction. You know, drown myself and all of that. It was it was it was a great setup for me to do that. And this went on for a long time. And here I am sitting in a psychiatrist's office talking about all that stuff, you know, and he's sitting there telling me about it, telling me about it. I pay him seventy bucks for forty five minutes and he falls asleep right in front of me and I'm sitting there talking. And the guy's falling asleep. You know, what on earth is you know, it was it was really really bad. So, you know, it just kind of, gets, I did a lot of other things, and, and there's a lot of things that I can't really talk about here, because they did all kinds of hands that go up, and, and, uh, and, and it would make a lot of you sick to your stomach. Uh, and I think about it now, and, and that recovering side of me feels that way. And the sick side of me does not, and, and I will admit that. You know, I, I, I've been in the program over 13 years, and there's still that sexaholic part of me that could easily forget all this stuff, this big hole that I dug, and 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 look at the empty promise of of what one more acting out would do, you know, and and just like anybody here, you know, I'm just a fantasy away from that, you know, it's not it's not that far away. But with God in between, you know, it's pretty far away. 
if I, if I keep it that way. And, that, and that's why God is a very, very big part, has to be a very big part of my program. Well, what happened? Um, the therapists were not able to help me. I learned a lot of stuff. My addiction got worse. Um, I began bringing home uh, male prostitutes. I'd go in town. I'd pick them up. I'd bring them home, and I'd show them where I live. These are street people. I, I was out on the street uh, myself, but I didn't consider myself one of them. You know, I did what they did. Although I wasn't a prostitute, but I acted out. I did what they did, and they were losers, and I was not. You know, and that's and that's just the way I looked at. They brought these people to my house. I showed them where they, where I lived. Uh, that means I put I put my whole family in danger. You know, I didn't know who these people were. I could have been killed. They could have come back, uh, robbed from me. They could they you know, burglar my house. They could have done anything they wanted to. You know, although I was pretty sly. When I brought them home, I, I meandered around all kinds of streets and everything. You know, before I got into the driveway, I figured I'll never figure this maze out. You know. And then after we were done, I just drive right out and go. And, and <laughs> I had to get away from them as quickly as possible, you know. It's crazy. And then I'd be in these, and then I'd be in these bookstores, and I, and and I and I I I I'd run in there, I'd act out, and then I'd be afraid to come out because if I opened the door, I knew there would be somebody on the other side who who knew me, who knew me. And this one, there was a traffic light there. And, and, and I could see, they had a little hole in the window, and I could see the traffic light, and all these cars would pile up, and this was near Kodak, where I worked. It's kind of right, right across the street from Kodak. Well, I worked at, I worked a lot of people at Kodak. Anybody could have seen me walking out of there, because people walk around, they mill around, they, you know. I'd wait for the light to, to turn green, so all the cars would start moving, because I assumed all the drivers would be looking straight ahead and not looking back at the bookstore. And then I'd run out and run around the corner and, and, and get into my car and, and go. This went on for a lot of years. Um, this went on for a lot of years. Um, I took I took time away from my employer. I took advantage of their trust in me. Uh, I come in in the morning, say hello to everybody. I put in an hour's worth of work. As soon as everybody was busy doing what they're doing, I'm in the car running downtown. I'm acting out. And if I had to pay them back in dollars, all that I took from them, I well, I couldn't. I'd be bankrupt. You know, I made amends to them. Uh, I, I went to their EAP. And, um, and I told them when I got into the program what this was all about and, and gave them an opportunity to make this program available to, I knew there were other sexaholics in Kodak. That is for sure. You know, maybe more than, than, than the general public, but I knew they were in there. <laughs> Hoping that maybe, you know, through that, that somebody, uh, somebody could be helped. Oddly enough, I got a letter from Simi Valley when Central Office was there. They said that uh, some of you are saying, are you aware that Kodak ordered 2,000 pamphlets, essay pamphlets? 2,000 pamphlets. They said, it's an unusual order, you know. Never had anybody order that many pamphlets <laughs> Do you know why? <laughs> I sent it right to my house, this letter, and, uh, you know, and, and of course I, I knew why. They, you know, like, like everything, they were, they, they attempted to help, and so they, they, the 2,000 pamphlets to, to them, at that time they had like 45,000 people working there, you know, really, really wouldn't go very far, but they, they began to distribute them, and, um, unfortunately that didn't work because there was somebody who was offended there, and as they distributed them, somebody removed them, so the, the next morning they were gone, so they, they, they rescinded them, and I don't know what happened after that. But I tried. I tried my best to do that. So anyway, what happened? I acted out with somebody in a bookstore. And, uh, and, and you know, this is the hand of God. I, I, I spent a lot of time with this, with this priest uh, for several years. He would, on Sundays we would meet, and he would try to help me out with the morality of all this stuff and the theology of all this stuff and try to help me get through this. And And he told me, he said, you know, God is with you in those bookstores when you're in there, you know. And I looked him right in the eye, you know. I had, you know, you're full of shit, he said. He's not in there. I said, that's that's a, a, a satanic place, if anything. It's, it's not a place for God to be. I was wrong this time, you know. He was he was right and I was wrong. And And I say that because I acted out with somebody in a bookstore a couple of times, anonymous. I, you know, I didn't know any of these people from, from Adam. I just acted out with them. I, I didn't care who they were. I just wanted, 
wanted to get sex with them and I wanted out of there. That was all I cared about. I didn't care anything about about them as a person or what they may be going through. And and uh, I went into the gate that I had to get into in Kodak, and uh, there was a guard there, and and this guard was very friendly. And and I and I looked and I said, "Geez, what do I what do I know this guy from?" And of course, then I was gripped with fear because. When pursued me into the cafeteria and so on and so forth. And finally, then I remembered. And I told him, I said, I explained to him what was going on. I knew I had a problem. I knew I had to stop all of this. I knew it at that time. I knew I had to stop. I did not know how. I had not a clue. I didn't know how to do it. So I told him about this, and I, and I, and I said, I don't want any of this, no relationships. I don't want any of this. I got a wife. I got kids. I love her. I want to stay married. I want to, I want to, I want to do this thing right and I can't because of this stuff. I said, I need a group of some sort like AA or, you know, I didn't even know anything about AA. I just said that, you know, because I knew that helped people with alcoholics and I believed I had a, an addiction of some sort. Oddly enough, uh, in a couple of years, um, in comes this company mail and this little tiny article in a newspaper. Um, it was about a group of, of married men who were acting out in a homosexual manner who wanted to get rid of their guilt. They wanted to stay married and they wanted to feel good about what they were doing. <laughs> the word group was in there. I don't know how on earth this guy found this because Sunday paper is pretty thick and, and that's where he got it from. And uh, he sent it to me with a little note saying, Maybe this is the group you're looking for. So a phone number, I called called the phone number. The guy was uh, somebody who, who facilitated or headed up this group was right down there to see me. We had, we had lunch together. I told him my story and everything, and, and he told me what the group was all about. And I said, I said, you don't understand. If I get into a group like that, I says, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I says, I can't. Um, I got to stop this. Okay, that's what I got to do. And um, uh, this is where it began. See, um, he gave me after a week. He let me sit on it for a whole week, and then he came back again, and he said, uh, "I said that my story didn't change. I wanted to stop." So he gives me a telephone number and an essay pamphlet, and he said, "Call this number. Maybe this is what you're looking for." So I went back to my office. Big glass windows on the office and no curtains on them. You know, everybody can kind of look in there. But in any case, I went in there and I and I looked at this pamphlet and and the first thing I noticed was that that it was on glossy paper. It was printed and and you know there must be more of me out there. They didn't create this one pamphlet just for Dave. <laughs> I, I could I could be tempted to think that, but. But I knew, right, just holding that thing and seeing the name Sexaholics Anonymous on there, I, I, I knew something was, was up here. I opened it. I saw the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in there. And I remember telling this fellow that I needed something like AA, and there were the 12 steps. Right above them were the 12 steps of essay. I took the little test. I think I got about 15 of them right and the other the rest of them, except for being arrested, came true later. Um, I found out that I had those two. I, I learned a lot after coming into this program. Um, I called a number. It was a woman. And um, I, I wouldn't call it from my telephone because I knew that Kodak kept tabs, could, could look up phone numbers and stuff like that on, on, on my use of the phone. So I went to somebody else's office and he was their phone number. <laughs> <clears throat> I may be dumb, but I ain't stupid. <laughs> so um, she started talking recovery. She started talking stopping. She started talking sexual sobriety, which I, I didn't. I, I didn't hear that term before. I didn't really hear that. So, but what is that? You know, she explained to me what what sexual sobriety was. And that's what I always, that's what I wanted. It's exactly what I wanted. That's, that was it, you know. And, uh, so she says, uh, after she got through and I shared some of my story, uh, she said, you want to, you want to come to a meeting? And I said, oh man, yeah, I do want to come. And we, we interview people in Rochester before they come to meetings for the close. We have one open meeting in town where anybody can come 
any of the police can come, the newspaper can come, your wife can, wife can come, anybody can show up there. But all the rest of the meetings are closed. But back then there were only uh, two meetings, and um, and they and they were closed. So I get a I get a phone call now from somebody, and he begins to. So she had apparently done an interview. He he did one, and they must have got together and said it's okay if this guy comes to the meeting. And so he told me where it was with her house. And so I went there. Um, I did I I was scared. I was not afraid to go to the meeting. I was so beaten by this thing. Um, you know that that um, I, I, I what I was afraid of was that I might find a den of lust that that I wouldn't be able to come out of. That, that was what I was afraid of. My hope was that I would that I would hear more of what she shared with me on the telephone. And I wasn't disappointed. Uh, there were about five or six people back then uh, at the meeting. Uh, back this was in May of '85, and. Uh, and back then they did little mini first steps when a newcomer came. So everybody got, got a chance to tell a little bit of their story. They did the litany. They went around the room and everybody did their, their 25 words or less, you know, what they did. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I, um, I'm kind of reliving that right now. And so um, it came my turn. And uh, I need to back up just a little bit. I... Um, I was kind of desperate for stopping, and I heard on TV once that um, that there was a uh, uh, a drug that they were administering to sex offenders in uh, prisons and stuff to kind of curb their sexual appetites. And of course, easier, softer way. Amen. That's for me. I went to the psychi- psychologist I was seeing. I says, "Get me that drug. I've got to try it." So he got me to. To another, to a, a psych, psychiatrist who was administering that drug in the city of Rochester. We met for, for a few weeks. He wanted to make sure that I needed that. And, um, and, and he gives me, and I, he, he okay, he was going to do it. Then he gives me this piece of paper that effectively I had to sign my life away to this guy. He didn't know what this drug was going to do in the long run and all this kind of stuff. And I was, I was scared to death. I wanted, I was going to do it because I was more afraid of continuing in my acting out than I was in what this drug was going to do to me, but I was afraid of both. Two days before I went for my first injection, uh, I got to go to my first essay meeting. Okay, That's it. Brought this paper. When I got my turn, I dumped all over the floor, you know, and um, I showed him this paper. I said, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. You know, and uh, somebody said, why didn't you come back here? Don't go there. If uh, if this doesn't work for you, you can always go and do it then. It made a lot of sense to me. I could never think of that. You know. <laughs> I was n- not able to reason that far. I was so filled with fear and lust and acting out, and I was just so lost, so lost out there. And when I got all done... Um, these people, they must have rehearsed it because I heard them say it all at once, you know. Welcome home, Dave. And, um, and I knew what that meant. And I knew they were telling the truth. And I was home. I couldn't wait to get to my next meeting. Um, I didn't know what, whether to laugh or cry. Obviously, God's hand was in this. I had no idea how big. I still don't know how big it is. I don't know how. I know it's big, but I don't know how big. I use the metaphor to me as big like a billion dollars. If I had a billion dollars, I would have no concept of how big that is. I, I know it's big. And I think that God's work here is just like that, you know, which gives me a whole lifetime to learn about about this this whole uh, episode here of, of God in my life. Um, so I went to uh, I went to every meeting uh, that I could go to, and um, when we moved from from Karen's house to uh, to a public facility, everybody left. And, and, and they all 
people were acting out with each other. I mean, the SA was, was beginning to, to go down the tubes at the time I came in there. And I'm saying, oh, my God, you know. I went to the public meeting, a public place for the first time, and nobody came. I was there, but nobody showed up till about 10 minutes before the end of the meeting. Somebody, just one, one person showed up. And I said, what am I going to do? I, I need this program. I need this fellowship. I can't. I, I know I couldn't exist without it. I'm going to sit here, man. I'm going to read my big book for an hour and a half. I don't care if anybody comes or not. I'm going to hold this door open, and it's going to, it's going to stay here as long as I live and breathe. I, I want this program. I need it, and I don't want to die. Uh, and uh, oddly enough, the people who left one by one, they replaced themselves with others. Um, they still had some kind of allegiance to the program, and and uh, and from there, uh, Cleveland got involved and everything, and SA began to grow. And uh, and this program has completely changed my whole life. Um, I wake up in the morning, and the first thought is in my mind is that I am a sexaholic, and and I am powerless over lust. It came to mind in this whole thing that that. If I say that, then I damn well better behave like a powerless man. Or those words are totally meaningless. I came to understand through the sponsorship that I've had, wonderful, wonderful sponsors, that, um, that there's no room in this sexaholic for powerlessness and guilt and shame at the same time. Can't have both of them at the same time. Either I'm guilty and shameful, or I'm powerless. And if I'm guilty and shameful, I can't do anything about it. I tried. I can't do anything about that. But if I'm powerless, I found out that I can. I can. Because they taught me about God. Um, my first uh, thoughts of God was that, that he would stay in, in the corner and watch me till I got good, and then would come into my life. That was my thoughts of how, what I thought about God. In that first meeting, somebody said to me, Dave, did you ever think about the fact that God might be involved in your recovery? No. <laughs> Why would I think that? You know, I was too sick to think anything like that. But there was a new idea for me. A brand new idea that I could be this disgusting, uh, filthy, dirty, sexaholic and, and do these, these, these abominable things perverted things of all sorts and still have a uh, still have God in my life wow wow I don't ever want to lose that you know that's a precious gift to me and I don't ever ever want to lose that essay uh, sexaholism took away my my innocence and essay God when I say essay I'm including God in this put it back Different, not quite the same. I can't forget that I'm a sexaholic. Everything I did is cast in concrete. I can never change it. I can't change it. But I'm in awe today at who this God is. I'm in awe today when I look out here and I see all these people sitting in this room. Why'd you come here? You know, why? Why would I come and listen to me? You know, I got a dirty, filthy story to tell. You know. I would come to listen to somebody like me because I want to hear the hope. I want to hear that there's something something that can happen for me that, 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 that I can be in recovery somehow and find out who this God is. And that's why I come to meetings like this. I want to hear what what God did for these people because I know that he would do the same thing for me. He brought me into SA. If I acted out and did the things today that I did before I got in here, it would take me out of SA, not in it. I'd, I'd have to leave. And so how do I explain my presence here? Because all I knew how to do was act my brains out. How, do you, how does that get me into this program to meet people like you who want the same thing? That is the story of God's love in my life. That right there is the story of His love. And, and, and my whole program is this way. Because I can't work these steps without Him. I can't look at the defects and bring them to him and, 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 and try to, to uh, take his grace to, to have victory over them without his direct presence in my life. And, and I read this in, in, the, in the essay um, book the other night, you know, that, 
that I thought these defects would disappear when I came in here. Gone. Lust. Gone. That says so. God take them away. That says What kind of Dave would I have been? No. Wouldn't have to come to SA anymore. Uh, halo, maybe. <laughs> nice and straight. Pure. <laughs> the big book says, no, that, the essay book says, no, that's not it. That the defects are there and they are me and they are not going to disappear. And lust is not going to go away. And I learned that in these rooms. And I don't have to have those go away in order for me to be sober and to work a good program. But what I do need is the power of God to get victory over these things each and every time they occur. And if that's all I expect, it's all I need. It's all I need. I have to coexist with lust. I'm a sexaholic. I've got to coexist with it. We've got to live together in this life. I put it all in there, and it's not going to go away. I've got a very good memory, and it isn't going to go away. And so I have to bring God in now to kind of mix with all that stuff and, and through his power set it in, in a place where it no longer intrudes on my life. And it doesn't intrude on my life anymore. It's there. i got to deal with it every day. But I don't have to act out today. The compulsion is gone. I don't have... Lust for me is not, is not uh, having a lustful thought pass through my mind. Uh, lust for me is engaging in it. Stopping it. Hey, stay, stay here. You know, let, let's, let's consider this for a while. You know, that's what I cannot do. And so I have to hand it to God, set it on the back burner, go on with my life with what He put before me, and do it. Um, and when He's ready to take that away, He does, and it goes away, and it does every single time, without fail, every time. So this program works. Folks, I can't do it without you. I need people here who are going for sobriety too because I said many times my, my head's divided in half. I got the lust over here. It's all in there. 3D, stereophonic sound, technicolor. It's all there. And this side of here where all the recovery is, it's like a sieve, you know. You pour it in there and it just kind of slowly leaks out. And if I don't keep replenishing it by coming here and learning what I need to learn, helping others, I'll be left with this. And I, I plan on that being that way for the rest of my life. I don't, th- I don't know if God will ever take it all away, but I don't care. I found the answer. I found the answer. We're getting close to, to um, finishing here, and I, I just need to share with you um, what, what my recovery looks like from a member of my family and I have this birthday card over here that uh, that my uh, son sent to me uh, he's living out of town and uh, and this is testimony not just from me but it's from someone else who lived in the house that I lived in who experienced my sexaholic craziness <clears throat> it says happy birthday to dad a very special man happy birthday to the man who taught me all about life and value who led me across the stepping stones of growing up until I safely reached the other side of adulthood. Happy birthday to the man I admire for his ability to teach by example, to lighten the care just by listening, to love unconditionally. Happy birthday to the man I respect. The man who's always been there no matter what I needed ever since I can remember.
This is not all true from my perspective. God made it true somehow. In his way, I don't know. I don't understand. I got one more thing I'd like to share with you. It's a little poem that I love that um, it reflects God's work in my life. Many of you have heard it, maybe you haven't, I don't know, but I like to read it anyways. It's called The Weaver, and the author is unknown. And it says, My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget. He sees the upper, and I, the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand. As the threads of gold and silver and the pattern he has planned. God bless you. I'll leave this here if anybody wants it. Thank you. Maybe we can uh, just close with the, maybe just stay in place since we're here, but just uh, close with the Lord's Prayer. We can move, whatever. Dave, one. <laughs> whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, and it won't if you don't. <laughs>